Jesus said that. Just look, what reward do you have if you love those who love you? You know, I mean, even even the sinners do that. And this unity thing, you know, at least what we have, quote, called the unity of the body of Christ is a crock. It's loving those who love us. Church Unity, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. edition of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and I am here today with my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden. Kumbaya. The Kumbaya, <laughs> and that goes right into what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we want to talk about Christian unity, and uh, I want to pull up this verse that most people listening have probably heard before. It's in John 17, verse 20. Uh, Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I thought this would be a good topic today because this one can seems a bit tricky today. <laughs> because when you talk about, first of all, we know already as just as a country, how divided the country is right now on political sides and stuff. But then you have so much of that political stuff has gotten into the church and so you have clearly divisions in in the church. Um, you you have your liberal Christians, you have your right wing Christians, you have every other kind of Christian in between, um, and and those and and then you have people who don't identify with politics at all. And so with that, and with all the differences we see, it would be so much easier if everybody was just on the exact same page and we all just thought the same way, and then we'd all just get along great. But, you know, right now the church sometimes looks like many people's Thanksgiving dinner when when all the extended family comes over and they got Uncle Bill with his uh, his crazy politics and then Aunt Jane with her conspiracy theories and and uh, and, and then uh, Uncle Max with his crazy leftist views and they all got to come together and somehow endure it. And everybody dreads Thanksgiving because it's like, oh, my gosh, we got to get through this together. And then I don't know about you guys, but I've I've been to um, some unity events in in my time in the church that um, were really just kind of, let's just stay away from anything that upsets anybody or that where we're different. And let's just kind of all stay on just these couple of topics, you know, and, and just uh, stay very surface level and let's just all get along. And so everybody just kind of, you know, keeps it there. I did go to a really good one, which was interesting. It was here in Wisconsin um, a couple of years ago where it was nothing like that. Um, it was here out here at Green Lake, um, which used to be a, a Baptist um, camp. And they but they opened it up and there were Catholics there. There were Eastern Orthodox. There were Episcopalians, Protestants from all different backgrounds, uh, Charismatics. And the thing that was different on this one that I'd never seen in any other other unity event was they actually said they encouraged us to discuss theology and discuss things that were different, but to really listen to each other. And they and the 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 thought process was how are we going to grow if we can't talk about this stuff? And I had an amazing time with those people, but that of course is very rare. Um, so I want to just open this up. Um, how I don't even know where to start because. When we talk about, I mean, we, of course, we, we, you don't want to be unified with something destructive. So what is Christian unity and how do we, 
how do we walk in that? Is this, I mean, do we just, anybody who just calls themselves Christian, we just go kumbaya, yay? Or, I mean, how does this work? Okay, so let me let me jump in on that. The last thing you said, we don't want to be unified with anything destructive. Um, on the surface of it, that sounds uh, prudent. That sounds smart. Uh, yeah, you don't want to be unified with destructive things. In its outworking, it is what it is that thought, if you will, that has splintered the body of Christ or Christendom uh, into you know tens of thousands of denominations each one thinking every other denomination, every other philosophical or doctrinal position is destructive. And, uh, you know, our history is filled with murdering other believers, if you will, because they believe something that was destructive. Uh, or or right. we call it heresy or, or whatever. So when we approach the subject of unity, we have to approach it from the perspective of what does Father consider to be unity? And I think Paul gives us a, a bit of insight when he begins to talk about the body of Christ, uh, and he compares it to the human body. And, and what we do is, uh, you mentioned charismatics, okay. Charismatics look at uh, non-charismatic or liturgical and say, because you are not, you are therefore not part of the body. And Paul goes on to say, but if we were all this, whatever the this is, if we were all liturgical, if we were all charismatic, if we were all, uh, you know, uh, line upon line Bible teachers, you know, um, whatever, where would this expression be? And it seems to imply there, and yet we can read those scriptures and we can apply them in our twisted spiritual application and never get down to the practicalities of why do I feel like I have a deeper understanding of the ways of the kingdom because I'm wired in a certain way and I happen to like uh, other people who are seem to be wired the same way spiritually. We can have deep conversations. What makes me think that that somehow is the most holy and therefore what everybody else must attain to in order for us to have unity? And so I found, uh, um, I've been pastoring uh, off and on and whatever, uh, been around church leadership for 50-some years, and been part of unity groups, pastor unity groups. I, don't, I, I, I can't even count how many I've been part of, and, and led some. And they all, I'm going to end this little spiel with, one of the funniest things that I ever encountered was most of those eventually digress to a coffee clutch for like-minded pastors. And so we're sitting there and we're drinking coffee and one of the men puts his cup to his mouth and takes a sip and he says, can I ask you a question to the host church? Is this Folgers? And he said, well, yes, it is. Oh, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't drink Folgers. Oh, I've got to have good coffee, fresh ground beans. And it's like, oh, now our coffee clutch 
doesn't even have unity because we serve the wrong coffee. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so it's too real. It is real. Oh man. You made several good points, Jim. Um, first of all, what you're saying about that attitude about, well, this is destructive, so I can't be in, in unity. Um, I, I think that's a really good point because, yeah, it's like, well, what defines destructive? Because we're all going to define it in a different way. And that's one of the one of the problems. It's like it's like the other day I saw this thing posted where it said uh, basically, OK, basically it was something that was saying that about people being different and and choosing choosing. I can't. I can't be in unity with people who have a different lifestyle. And basically it was totally pointing to the LGBTQ community. And it was funny because when I read that, I went, you know, somebody could take that exact same thing and think they're talking about right wing Christianity and, and, and say the exact same thing. Yeah, I can't be I can't stand the lifestyle that you live because you live as a right wing Christian. So so that's what I mean. It's like these kind of litmus tests really get dangerous. And, and I even had a um, situation where I was talking to a brother who that unity um, gathering I was just sharing about, he he said, you know, I feel like they're kind of just wanting to be unified with people just like them. And I thought, well, what do you mean just like them? Because there's all these different denominations and stuff. He goes, I'm gay. I'm not welcomed at the table. And he, but he's very much a follower of Christ and has even has seminary training and uh, is an Episcopalian. And, but you know, he's, he's not welcomed with the same embrace as the others. And so when we talk about this, this is the kind of can of worms we open um, that when we talk about the people being destructive or the people we don't want to unify with is when we talk about unity, do we really mean unity or do we mean unity? Like you said, Jim, are we just going to kind of be the pastors that all think alike and are going to come together? Or are we really going to listen to each other's stories? And I mean, really listen to each other's stories, listen to even understand. I, th- I think uh, what you're saying there, though, that last point is the path to unity. Each one of us are on our own spiritual path. Each one of us uh, have our own unique personality. Um, We were brought up within a society, if you will, that kind of shaped our worldview. It's, it's, uh, you know, so we have, we're multifaceted, each, each individual. And so we have come as a result of that, we have come to um, accept certain worship styles as what we relate to uh, as opposed to another worship style. We have come to certain doctrinal positions, if you will, um, uh, that seem to speak directly to kind of our worldview, if you will, or how we want to believe that God is and how God inter- interacts with the world and and so on and so forth. And, and so we have all of this mixture that that goes into and it's 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 what I call our story. So we have all of this mixture that goes into where I am today. And and I can I can attest to the fact that over the last fifty years I am in uh, I don't know how many metamorphoses I've gone through and you know I am not the same person I was you know you know when I first at twenty eight first entered into ministry and uh, so having said that if I will allow myself to sit down with a person who is, and I almost hesitate to use this term, but I will, the exact opposite of me. They're everything that I'm not. And perhaps even everything that I've spoken out against, okay? If I will sit down and Honestly, from a place of wanting unity and wanting to understand, 
and wanting to be able to embrace my brother or my sister in a true spirit of love, I'm going to listen to them. And I'm going to listen to them from a place of wanting to learn their path. How did they get where they are? And they got there through pain and suffering. They got there through joys and delights. They got there through trial and error. And as I listen to that, I may still say, well, you know, I man, I appreciate. Man, I love you. I appreciate hearing your journey. And, you know, having heard your journey, I now fully under, I, if that was my, if that was my journey, I think I'd have the same persuasion you have. I think I'd have the same outlook on life you have. I think I would, and now I get it. And now I, I can walk in unity with you because I know the path you've taken. And, and, my path is different, and at some point in time, I would be more than happy to sit down and share with you my path. Because I want you to understand where I'm coming from is a result of my path, but I don't want you to understand it from the sake of, I think mine is better, and therefore you have to change. And no, I... I want to bless you to stay right where you are at in your relationship with God. And now I can walk in unity with you. And to me, that's the only path to unity with people is that that are, are a little different in their understanding or their worship style or whatever. Then I, I have no problem. And, and Jesus said that. Just look. What reward do you have if you love those who love you? You know, I mean, even even the sinners do that. And this unity thing, you know, at least what we have, quote, called the unity of the body of Christ is a crock. It's loving those who love us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Michael, what are, what are your thoughts on this? I find it extremely relevant that... Um, Jim starts with uh, listening, and you did too. You did too. Both of you talked about this. Um, so um, I have a number of thoughts. Um, the first is that this theme of unity became one of the four marks of the church, known as the marks of the church at, at uh, Nicaea, with one holy Catholic and apostolic, one being one, unified, okay, unity. Unity for most uh, of Christianity up until the time of the Reformation had to do with liturgical unity, that, that we're doing the, the Mass a certain way, okay? And the Catholic Church has always had variety in doctrinal unity, big-time variety in doctrinal unity. Not dogma, but doctrine. Dogma is okay. just doctrine that's been on steroids. <laughs> And um, yeah, right. Anyway, um, that's 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 been the Reformation brought about a different way to look at unity. Um, was it on liturgy? It was around scripture. And the the problem there is, of course, as we all know, is that Luther said it. Scripture has a wax nose. You can make it say anything and look like anything you want. It's easy. It's really easy. And. Um, and that produced wars, like the Thirty Years' War from 1618 to 1648. And uh, produced still wars, say, even into the 70s, 80s, uh, with like the Catholic and the Protestant um, problems in Northern Ireland, right? That the, the, the reality is, um, whatever's going on in John 17 would have nothing to do with doctrine. It would have everything to do with um, self-sacrifice for the other. And then finally, I, my, my last thought is this. Christian unity is a myth. Okay? Now, this Johannine text, 
for, from my perspective, this is not a prayer of Jesus. This is the on and author freely creating in the spirit of Jesus this prayer. Okay, so it's not the historical Jesus. Um, let's say it's let's say it's composed in the early '90s. Okay, this is an author that is well aware of the split between Gentile and Jewish Christianity. He also has experienced splits in his own congregation. From 1 John, we know this, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. But what's interesting there is that it is actually um, a certain proposition that either makes one a follower of Jesus or not, and that is if you deny the flesh of Jesus, if you deny his fleshly reality, he just appeared as a human, he kind of looked human, whatever, if you were a docetic, docetism, if you were docetic at all, where, you, you know, the divinity of Jesus kind of overwhelms his humanity. And believe me, there's been plenty of docetism in the history of Christianity, not just in the early church, not just in the Ohanian community. Menno Simons, the founder of the Mennonites, big docetist. Most modern um, uh, charismatic theology, docetist Jesus. I mean, the, the, the divinity just overwhelms the humanity, you know, and and um, the writer had to deal with that because the writer had to deal with the concrete realities of life that there were brothers and sisters who were not being fed. They were starving while others ate. And so the, the unity works itself out relationally as care. That's the unity. So I want, for, for me, Unity is a myth. Um, it was a myth from the, the early church from the beginning was not unified. It tried. James and James and Peter tried to unify the church around their vision, their view of, of, of uh, Judaism and faith in Jesus. They tried. But Paul broke away. The Ohanine community broke away. And, and there, there was no shot after that, you know for unity. And by the way, may I comment? Those that want to go back to Acts chapter 2 through 4 and talk about the lovely, hippie little communist, you know, proto-Marxist community, they shared everything in common. I would have you note that um, that process uh, begins, you know, within five, six months after Jesus' death, but it only lasts one year. Failed. Hmm. Wow. You know, I never thought about that until I saw the failure of Christian community, uh, where we in California, we lived in economic community, which means you pooled all your money, went to one big pot. And I'll tell you what, you know, um, it failed. And most economic communes fail. Just it's not, it's not, uh, the world doesn't operate that way, you know, and we have way too much of the world in us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting because one it's of really the things good. that, uh, that both what you and Jim shared had in common was when we were talking about actual unity occurring, it was on an individual level. If you notice it, it wasn't, it, it was between like me and you or me and a, another person. In other words, it was relational. It wasn't my whole organization is going to come into unity with this other whole organization. Um, so it, it seems like when it does happen, it is much more of it's personal because like you said, Michael, it's a laying down your life for the other person. And then Jim, like we talked about that, it's listening to the other person. That's, that's not something that's done on a, uh, so to speak, with two large, you know, corporate type groups. It's, it's definitely much more individual. What, what are you guys' thoughts on that? When you go to the 1930s, 1920s and 30s, just that between the two great world wars, a movement arose in Europe, and that was known as the ecumenical movement. And it was an attempt to bring together, for the first time, all the major Christian traditions, okay, and to start having conversations and the heyday of this, it, go, it really goes from about 1920s to about 1975, 1980, right in there, 1980. After that, it'll shift. I'll talk about that. The 
during this period of time, you have Lutheran and Reformed. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Catholics and Protestants, let's talk about this. Eventually, they'll come out with a document. Uh, the World Council of Churches comes out with a document called Baptism, Eucharist, and Ministry, in which all the Christian traditions could find some common ground, right? Baptism, Eucharist, Ministry. Now, the... Um, shift after the 80s, then there's a breakdown because, okay, so now we're, we're agreed, but then the, the liberal conservative thing comes in, and so the church shifts to interfaith. Now it's Jews and Christians, Jew, Christians and Muslims, and da 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 da, da right? So I don't, don't know. I don't know that we've ever had Christian unity talked about as an emphasis upon the ethic and the body of Christ the way that we are to um, make sure that the basic needs of everyone in that community are met. I don't know if we've ever discussed that, you know. I know I, I've been to churches. I've been to churches that have uh, ministries. You know, you, you can donate a little extra for an agape fund or this or that, and then if somebody has a need, they go talk to the pastor, and the pastor decides whether to help them out or whatever, and I, I never liked that model. I never did because what if you and the pastor don't get along, right? Right. I mean, and that now what? You know, and, and who controls the money? And what if you know that you're not part of their group? And all the politics that get involved. But at any rate, that's those are some, some of my thoughts. Jim, what about you? Well, I mean, I'm I'm choking on Michael's statement that uh, unity is a myth. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Not really. Not really. I just thought I'd need a little theological Heimlich uh, maneuver there. <laughs> Something like that. Um, actually, I agree with that. If, at least for me, let me, I'm not going to speak for Michael, but for me, I would say that's absolutely true if we're thinking in terms of unity being conformity. Mm -hmm. If we're thinking of unity as being observable, okay, the kingdom of God is not observable. And I think there are people and whole groups of peoples who approach things in a way that I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to imagine myself approaching it from that perspective or in that way, that God calls part of his body. And therefore, in the unseen, the kingdom comes without observation. In that unseen realm... It's part of the unity, if you will, of this thing called his body. And whether or not I'm supposed to relate to that, I keep, I keep going back to the human body, okay? I, the human body is wonderfully put together. Sometimes our approach to this thing called unity, you know, we, you know, we come up with this hypothetical thing that we're supposed to walk in unity. And I'm going to use a very poor analogy, but let's just say that I'm an ear. And so I, I see a foot out there and I say, oh, man, that looks pretty good, and I'm supposed to be in unity, so I think I'm going to stick this ear, me, to this foot, him. And and we're going to call that unity. It's like, <laughs> that's as ridiculous as anything you could possibly imagine. And so I think, I think we go about, because we read that scripture in, in uh, John and others, and we, we go about trying to produce unity instead of understanding that in, in God, I believe unity already exists, but I believe that it's, it's in God. He 
is the sinew that holds it all together, you know? Um, uh, and the ear is exactly where it's supposed to be. And, you know, if I'm the right ear, I'm on the right side of, of, of the head and, and, you know, and I'm attached to a very small portion of the head. I'm not even, you know, indirectly I'm attached to the whole head, but, but only to a small portion of it. And I, I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm okay with being where I'm at, being comfortable in my own skin, if you will, and relating to who I relate to. Because if I relate to you two guys, Lauren, you're related to a whole bunch of other guys, and Michael, you're related to a whole bunch of other guys. And in this spirit realm, through you, I'm related to them also, although I may never know them. I may never know their name even, but I'm related to them through you. And I, I think that's for me, I'm coming, beginning to become much more comfortable with unity looks a, a lot more invisible than it does visible. Now that's obvious. Although I... Okay. The, well, the invisible church is united. Yeah. The visible yeah. church is not. That's Augustine. Yeah. Well, sometimes I like Augustine, sometimes <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I like the picture there, though, of, you know, trying to attach the foot, the ear to the foot and, and what you were showing there, Jim, because it, it takes it out of it being this overwhelming, daunting thing that we're supposed to do of like, okay, I have to be in unity with the church. Okay. How many, let's go down the checklist. How many Eastern Orthodox friends do I have? How many, you know, I got to make sure, oh, I haven't made any friends in this group, you know, or, and it, rather it's, it takes it into a relational sense of who has father connected me to and that I, with the people he's put in my life, that's where I fight in a sense, in the positive sense for, to maintain peace with them, to maintain unity in those relationships. Um, and I think that's where the reality of so much of what Paul addressed in the epistles about how we love one another and stuff, that's where that really comes into play is that I'm, I'm not going to let things come in and, and destroy those relationships. And I like how you said, Jim, how it, there are, is, is I'm connected to you guys and then you guys are connected to other people. It, it causes it, it, it causes a, a connection, if you will. Like like when I was with the church in Fort Worth, Jim and and um, it's funny, both Jim and Michael, I read your books and guess what I was bringing into their meetings a lot of times? The very things that you guys talked about in, in your materials. Um, I talked, <laughs> no, actually, they. that's what was funny was they loved it. Oh my gosh, they loved it. I I even was hesitant. I was like, should I really? I shared with uh, Michaela one time. I was like, should I share this this Sunday morning? And she's like, she's like, well, she's just like, basically, what the heck? Go ahead, do it. You know, if, if they kick us out, they kick us out. And they loved it. <laughs> and I was shocked. And uh, and uh, I know the pastor. I passed on uh, uh, Jim. I passed on your your book to him, and he loved it. Yeah. And uh, and I was sharing about uh, scapegoating and the different voices in scripture in the Sunday school class, and they were eating it up. But but guess what? This was a uh, largely LGBTQ uh, group. They understood what it is to be the scapegoat. They they saw it all too clear and even accepted that they've been the the persecutor. You know, um, it was it was astonishing. But again, it's because I'm connected to you guys. And through, and then my connection with them caused you to be connected with them. You didn't have to go, okay, we got to go find this church in Fort Worth that we got to become in unity with. And, and so I think there is this, it goes back to the conversation we had a long time ago about what the church, about the church. And Michael, you had mentioned about the networks that God seems to be building. And, and I think that's a huge part of this thing with unity is it's the networks that you're a part of and connecting to the people. See, for me, my challenge is, I was just talking to Lily about this the other day. I can get so comfortable in my little world. And if you don't go out and love people, you don't have to worry about getting hurt. So for me, my challenge is I have to constantly push myself to 
maintain and pursue and build those relationships and be actively involved, not to just close into my own little world and just get all comfortable and stuff. Uh, That's my battle. Um, And it's not really a battle. It's just a laziness thing that I have to, (laughs) that I have to not give into. And, and so for me, that is the thing of pursuing unity is I am going to check on my brothers and sisters. I'm going to make sure they're doing okay. I'm going to maintain those friendships and those relationships, and I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to grow from them. And, uh, and if God gives me something to pour into them, I'm going to pour something into them regardless of the label or the background that we have. I was thinking when you first started talking there, uh, Lauren, there is a uh, game kids play, or uh, I don't know that you would call it a game, but anyhow, uh, Mr. Potato Head. And um, the Mr. Potato Head that they have now is the actual, the potato is actually plastic, and all the holes are shaped in a way so if you put the ear in the wrong place, uh, you know, it won't fit. And it's it's like, yeah, Yeah, exactly. But the one I grew up with only had the parts of of the the face, the eyes, the mouth, the nose, and the ears, and you actually got a potato. A real potato, yeah. A real potato. (laughs) I remember that. And some of the creations that uh, we came up with, were um, absolutely hilarious, Uh, at least, you know, to a five-year-old kid, you know, (laughs) or a 10-year-old kid, whatever. And and I'm sorry, but I think there are times I, I, I just have a feeling that God sits there just laughing his gut out uh, at, you know, these, these Mr. Potato Heads that we're creating that we call Unity. And he says, are you kidding me? It's like, you think that's Unity? It's like, you know. Uh, so any any rate... Um, I just, yeah, I was just, I was just thinking about that. It's like, uh, you know, the uh, sanitized Mr. Potato Head that you have to put it in the right spot doesn't work. So if, <laughs> you know, if, but, if, right. if in First John we have the clue that unity, the unity of the body, has to do with not being like Cain who killed his brother, but caring for the the one who has needs. Um, we can also appeal to Paul, the First Corinthians uh, text 11, 12, 13, and 14 uh, ha- have to do, particularly the Eucharistic portion of that text, has to do with the wealthy eating and having Eucharist while the poor who didn't have any food could eat. So, I mean, unity has to do somehow with feeding the neighbor in the, in the feeding the brother and sister in the community, making sure their basic needs are met. Yeah, right. I appreciate you bringing that out. Um, for for years, when we would approach uh, and you know communion or Eucharist, uh, we didn't use the word Eucharist because that was Catholic and we're non-Catholic and whatever, you know, and, you know, forgive me for that, but, um, it, Father, it forgive me for I've sinned. There you go. But that, but, that prayer was Catholic, prayer by the way. Latin, yeah, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> but having said that, um, I always, always started with, uh, chapter 11. I received from the Lord that which I also give to you, that on the same night the Lord was betrayed, so on and so forth. And you go into that. And one day I decided to read chapter 10. (laughs) And I was like, oh, so we who are many become one because we partake of one loaf. There's the unity of the body of Christ. It's in the partaking of Christ that is undivided, or or excuse me, that is divided for us all 
that we all become one and it's around it's it's around the meal but michael you're expanding that a little bit further because then now you have to take in all of first corinthians to understand that it's in that meal that we make sure that everyone receives a their their portion if you will that none go hungry that none are left that there is no uh we and they there is no i'm better than you or i'm richer and you're poorer and and a caste system and all this kind of stuff that if we understand the broken body that in the partaking of it we become unified we become one in the partaking of that then we have to understand that it comes through the sacrificial looking out for my brother before the interests of myself feeding myself i want to make sure that you're fed first and 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 in in many cases that's sacrificial I, I love it because it it takes it from caring for others so often becomes like this side thing that, you know, caring for the poor or something, the side thing that we're supposed to do. Here's the list of things we're supposed to do and blah, blah, blah. But I love how it takes it into the place of, no, that's part of practicing unity, of being in unity is I'm, I'm going to watch out for what are the needs of my brethren? What, what are the needs that are around me that people have? Well, caring caring for our brother is also supplemental. After I'm full, if there's anything left on my plate, then I will take that over to my brother and say, here, uh, I have this morsel left over. Or, or, are you hungry? Here's something for you. It's the not... It's not... <laughs> Send your yeah. youth bags. We'll it, send them to the missionaries. You know exactly. Yeah, and I've heard about I've that. Seen it. It's not sacrificial. Yeah, it's not sacrificial. And I, I, I think our giving is supposed to be sacrificial. Per, in in love, preferring one another over ourselves. Wow. Yeah, and, and this is really cool because this whole thing of unity has just expanded and become something so much more profound and beautiful than just the little thing of, Hey, we just have to get along with all these other people. You know, oh. now it's become that, no, I'm, I'm looking out for my brethren. I'm making sure that they're okay. I'm, I'm care. I'm putting the needs of other people ahead of myself. Yeah. I, you know, liberal Christianity basically does the, it has a Rodney King theology kind of like, why can't we all just get along, you know? And, um, that that's absurd. Again, I, I, I do want to stress this: the ethical issue in the Ohanian community stemmed from a Christological issue, a theological issue. That theological issue: oh, Jesus didn't have flesh, so we really don't have to care about flesh, and if you know, whatever. Uh, oh yes, wow! You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that connection, that's pretty well, profound. It's there, yeah. it's in the text. Yeah. There is bad theology that needs correcting, okay? But you can always tell a theology by its ethic. And a lot of theologies don't have ethics. Ethics are kind of appended to it, kind of like, well, this is all theology, and now we got to kind of talk about the Christian life, but there's we'll use the law to do that. So yeah. I, I don't want to say that theology isn't important. I do want to say that, you know, and in, in, I don't know if it was today or last week's conversation, Jim, Jim distinguished um, unity and conformity. Um, that was That's huge because in, in the birds of a feather flock together, said Aristotle, right? And, and so yeah. we, we tend to, like attracts like, we say. We tend to find that group which, you know, we feel we fit in. And then when the preacher talks about unity, you know, it's, you know, our little tradition and, you know, our denomination. And, 
and or or it just becomes completely esoteric. We have unity in Christ. Let us all get along in Jesus' name. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, it, yeah. It's not again. It's not a recognition that our unity brings us, as Jim says quite eloquently, down to that level of self-sacrifice. It doesn't bring us down to that level. It's not unity. You know, look at the early church. They fed their widow. The Jews fed the Jewish widows, the Aramaic-speaking widows, but they didn't feed the Greek-speaking mm-hmm. widows. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right. So, yeah. I mean, and that was and that was months after yeah. the Lord ascended. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. it's it's just so. The notion of the early church is this mythical unity that got corrupted is false. It's been corrupted from day one. Human nature. Human nature, baby. That's it. So let me let me take it off of the uh, concept of uh, the Christian church, if you will. Hmm. Um, I served in the military. I was in the Marine Corps. And I am still a, a, a part of the Marine Corps League here in our local community. Um, we're very involved with a program called Toys for Tots, mm-hmm. for instance. And, and we serve our community, about 8,000 kids in our community every year. Plus, we have a lot of fires out here in California. And we have our big tr- tractor-trailer filled with toys that we take down to all of the fires and give um, uh, toys to the kids that are, uh, you know, and, you know, that have lost their home and lost everything and whatever. In the military, there are four or five other branches of the military. To a Marine, none of them are even measure up to what we were, were Marines, yeah. you know, a few, a few good <laughs> men, you know, and, and, uh, whatever, uh, you know, so you've got army, you've got Navy, you've got air force. Now we have space force, Coast you know, Force, you've got the Coast merchant Guard, Marines. Coast Guard, you, you know, merchant Marines. So you have all these different, and it would be ridiculous, if you will, to, in Humboldt County, where I live in California, to get any veteran from any branch of the service to sit down in a monthly meeting and say, there, we unified, we unified the military. We brought it together into unity. It's like, no, we haven't unified anything nor should it be unified. The Navy has a job to accomplish. And, you know, depending on your political view, they do a a pretty good job at at that. The Air Force has another job. I have a a nephew that retired from the Air Force. And um, he reminded me that uh, there are times when the Marines were very thankful for the Air Force covering their butt (laughs) and getting them them out of a situation that, you know, uh, and and yet we make, you know, we make fun of the flyboys and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but my nephew told me what he did in the uh, Air Force, and I have high respect for him. I'm like, you know, you did your job and you did it well. Um, I'm not promoting the the military uh, at all. I'm just using that as an analogy. And so swing that back over to the church. Each group does what they do well. They're trained and they fight with each other. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. I couldn't agree. But, but they do what they do with some degree of, of success, and, that, and that's fine. Our Marine Corps League, we do what we do with some level of success. 
and the 8,000 kids that get toys every year and the families thereof, we are now, we've been doing this so long that we are now giving to kids of kids that we gave to in the earlier years. And, uh, and, and they are um, very happy to jump on board and, and volunteer to help us in, in that endeavor. And I, so I said all that just simply to say that this conformity thing, even, even that wouldn't work. We, we can't conform the Navy to the Air Force. And, you know, blend this thing. We end up with, I don't know what we end up with, but <laughs> neither of them are doing their job. Let's put it that way. And, and you know, I just, you know, I, I, uh, it's interesting that Lauren wanted to talk about unity and we've kind of uh, taken a couple of sticks of dynamite and blown it apart. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that's why i wanted to talk about it because it's something that has come up from time to time and uh quite a bit actually throughout my christian life um and usually it's presented as an obligation it's a it's usually an obligation of something that we have to all go do and and somehow you know and and usually it's through some organization or something that has started that that you know or an event that we're all going to show up at to show we're unified. And just like you said, Jim, it's like putting all the military branches in one building and say, here, look, we're in unity. And that, that was, I remember having, we had this big parade one year, the Jesus parade or something. And, and all the churches got together and marched down the street saying, yay, Jesus. And um, the community was changed and it was astounding. And none of that happened. <laughs> so <laughs> we all went back to our church buildings and it was all business as usual. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to talk about it. Kind of let's, you know, get a real, a, a real um, sense on this, you know? So, well guys, this has been fun again. And uh, I, I did mention both you guys as materials. Uh, Jim, where can people find your book? On Amazon. And Michael, where can people find your videos and oh, your book? Place, Amazon. YouTube too. YouTube, yes, these videos are on YouTube, um, and they're free. So, uh, yeah, take a look, and everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next time.